Coming up on this episode of the Unusable Podcast... Geriatric Treadmill Confusion. Common UX mistakes to avoid... Minor form fiddling. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to the Unusable Podcast, where we discuss the importance of user experience in technology and the world around us, and talk about great design that just works, or moan about it when it doesn't. Sorry, I don't know why I was being a bit theatrical in that in that introduction. It was good. I liked it. <laughs> it was. Uh, it was. Yeah. We talk it about a... great design. Do we? Do we talk about design that much? Um. Yeah, I think so. Interface right, design, good. product design. Right. Good. Good. Who are you, David? Oh, so uh, I'm David Ball. I'm a front-end web and app developer. Okay, and I'm Andrew Waite, and I run a software platform. Software platform. Oh. Sometimes it's a, it's a product, sometimes Hell. it's a platform. Yeah, I do lots of stuff. Jack of all trades, master of none. Right, okay. Are you all right, Andy? Uh, yeah, I'm not bad. I've been to a Good. theme park today. Oh, <laughs> it's your favourite thing, isn't it? Yeah. I, li- I like I like going on the roller coasters and the rides. Uh, this was a special theme park for little children, though, so I took my kids and uh, managed to terrify them, which is right, okay. uh, which is good. Is that related to the theme park, or did you? Just... <laughs> well, yeah, just put them on all the all the big scary rides. Right, good. Oh, I was going to tell you. Uh, you know, last last time I was t- talking about the the gym that I go to, and yep. they've what they've done in the gym is they changed all of the equipment. Uh, well, not all of the equipment, but the uh, the running equipment for more modern equipment that has these like touchscreen um, displays. So it's got like a big screen on it now. So say you, you go on the running machine, it's got this touchscreen. So you know how the advantage of touchscreen, obviously, wipeable, and also that it can have different modes and stuff. So it starts yep. on one mode. And then when you get into the running, it'll go to another mode. Mm-hmm. But the problem with that is that those modes are not visible straight away. And it's a bit confusing because when you first step on the machine, it just says start or begin or something like that. And and while I was there, I saw this, this old guy and he'd stepped up to the machine and he clearly had no clue what to do. I don't know. I just felt for him. And then... And then I tried to go on one as well. And I was like, uh, yeah, this is actually not, not clear anymore. Whereas the older ones, they were so simple that, I mean, you just press go faster, go slower. Whereas now it's got this quite a complicated interface. And <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where I'm going with this story. Just just a, a, a casual reminder that sometimes user interfaces are a bit complicated for people, especially if you're not used to them. Yeah. And I think it's easy to get carried away with making something flashy. Um, a bit more complicated. But... Does it actually serve the user any better? That's the that's the question. Yeah. Well. Anyway, what are we talking about this podcast, Andrew? Well, I thought we'd talk about some frustrating things that we see out in the wild quite often. These are common user interface, user experience mistakes. When you say uh, in the wild, I don't think you mean in the jungle, do you? <laughs> I, I mean in in. Uh, in the websites and, and user interfaces that we use on a day-to-day basis, these are things yep. that we see. Yeah, okay. And, you know, maybe maybe you listening to this, maybe you do this, maybe you've, you know, you've done this in the past. So thought it'd be good to put together a, a list of some of the things that uh, are commonly done, but not a good idea. Hopefully, all of our listeners are so good that they don't do any of these things. But if, you know, you recognise any of these bad practices, should we call them, um in your work then hopefully you'll learn something from from this and uh yeah you'll become a a better uh designer developer because of it okay crack on (laughs) 
So, the first one that I thought I'd bring up, carousels. Carousels on websites? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So... So how often? I mean, to be to be fair, you're pretty good to get this more than more than me. But how often do you get a design or a client ask for a carousel? Okay, yeah, okay. So it's often. So I make websites all the time. That's my that's my daily job. And a lot of those websites will have carousels on there. I know that you're going to say that it's a bad thing because I've I've seen plenty of articles recently. Well, not even recently, but like from the last two or three years saying that carousels are not great for are not great for usability they're not great for anything really on a website however they are something that clients want on their website because it's a good way of showing lots of pictures in the same space yeah so if you've got a business um i don't know you've got a restaurant and you want to wow people with all of your nice food it's good to show them a picture of the nice food and then a few seconds later show them a picture of some more food but like you said, um, everything I've read and all the evidence suggests that carousels are a terrible idea. <laughs> They're bad for user experience. That the discoverability on those little arrows that you click to go between the uh, the items is is poor. Um, and yet, like you said, clients tend to insist on it, and designers tend to design them in a lot it's one of those things that you see everywhere but there's very little to say that it's a good idea i think just people think they need one or okay are copying something they've seen somewhere yeah i think uh in the last five years every website that i've made has had a carousel on and what every website that you've made i think so yeah so what what i mean by a carousel really is Something that's like a full width, possibly full height picture with, like you said, an arrow on the left, an arrow on the right, uh, maybe some dots to show like if there's five five pictures in this carousel that those dots would represent. Well, that's that's nice showing the like the number of items in there in a very simple way. Yeah, because the carousel might not have those dots, in which case you don't know how many there are. Are there three? Are there 300? Yeah. Uh, the dots are quite useful to uh, but, to, to show, like, also that you may be out of three, on three out of five. But in your case, who's deciding that? Is that the designer that you work with or is that the client, all the clients that are stipulating to have a carousel? Conversation with the client and the designer and the, and the, uh, and the boss who's wireframed it, I suppose. Wow. I don't know. I don't get involved in that bit. I, I build it. And I don't know. If the research is that is that bad, then maybe I should be putting a bit a, a bit more resistance up about this. But I don't know. We're making things that, that people want. And if somebody wants to put a, a slideshow of all their lovely items, then we're not going to say no, are we? What What's, the, what's the science think, behind how bad it is? I think... Well, I was going to say, I do think you probably have a duty as a professional that if you know something isn't the best for the client then you know you should probably probably flag that up and 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 tell them you know try and discover what they're actually trying to achieve yeah and then um offer them a suggestion that that achieves what they're looking for uh without the negative i agree um yeah so the main reason that carousels aren't a great idea just simply that users don't seem to engage with them. Um, most of the stats around things like click-through rates and things like that just show that, that as far as users are concerned, they just skip over them, basically. I suppose they just think it's a picture and they just go, oh, that's a nice picture, and maybe not wait for it to rotate around to the next one or um, you know fade to the next one or, or press the arrow to go to the next one. They might just think, oh, that's it, I've seen it now, move on. Yeah, I think it, I think it might be a case of banner blindness as well. So... I think it depends probably how much of a power user you are, like how how used to the internet you are. Power user? 
Well, I mean, so people who've been around on the internet a long time get banner blindness, right? You you discover what content on a page is what you're looking for and what's ads and you just your mind automatically blanks out the ads. Have you never heard that term before, banner blindness? I have, but this isn't a banner. We're talking about something else. But I suppose what you do, I I think I know what you mean, because if I was to go to the website of a restaurant, let's carry on that example from before. If I see a very well taken photograph of some plates of food, I probably will discount it as maybe like stock photography. What I'm really looking for is, is a photo of the individual thing that I might want to buy. I well, I'm, if I'm looking at a restaurant, I want the menu. I want the opening hours. Yeah, I suppose that's a good, that's a good point. I want the ability to book online or order a takeaway online. I'm not interested in rotating images. The other thing that annoys me personally about carousels, especially the auto-rotating kind, yeah. is that... When you say auto-rotate, you don't mean like it's spinning around on the on the page. You mean it's going to fade to the next one and then to the next one and then eventually round back to the start. Exactly right. So it's, it spends, say, five to ten seconds on the first image and then goes to the next one and spends five to ten seconds. What I find a lot of the time is if I see something of interest in that first image, by the time I manage to decide to take an action about that, like to click on it or whatever, it's changed to the next image. So then I've got to try and find a control <laughs> to go back to the previous image to then be able to click on it. And it's really frustrating. Yeah. eBay is a good example of that. So quite often eBay runs like a 20% off voucher. Yeah. And that'll be the that'll be the first item in the carousel and I'll be kind of, I'll see it. But by the time I've gone, oh yeah, I should probably go and look at what that voucher code is all about. It's gone on to something else about free listings or something. And I'm like, no, no. And then you've got to try and work your way back. It's, yeah, it's really annoying. Really annoying uh, okay. UX. Oh, I've got an example then. So I was looking at um, some furniture. I wanted to buy a, a chair for the living room. And I was looking at this uh, website and they had a banner right up at the top. Now, admittedly, it was more of a banner, but it, it was a rotating carousel in that it showed one picture, then another picture, then another picture. And mm-hmm. maybe like the third picture was was a picture of a chair that is exactly what I wanted. That was the chair that I wanted. And uh, there was a button on that slide of the of the carousel. It said, learn more or click here or get whatever. So I clicked it and it took me to the product section, but it didn't take me to the listing for that one particular item that was on the picture. So you were left wondering what? So I was sort of left wondering. I was like, oh, yes, I'm clicking on this exact picture. But actually, the carousel was taking me to a list of all products rather than that exact product. Rubbish. Um <laughs> Another another thing is loading time as well. Quite often people stuff those carousels with high resolution imagery and you, you, if you've got a carousel of five things that's five high resolution images that, that have got to load. Oh yeah, of course, yeah. And and well you can lazy load them. We we always lazy load ours actually. Yeah, so and they... and obviously and you can optimize them, but do yeah. people always do that? Like a lot of the time I've seen it a lot in the in in real websites where yeah you get these massive images that take a long time to load and there's five of them. Um, Can I go on a tangent from here mm. and say that lately I've been using WebP for uh, yeah. for images. And the, well, web, the file... web, WebP is considered like out of date already, isn't it now? Oh, well, you've just blown me out of the water. There's, there's but... a new one. Go, go on, go on, carry on. Well, well, okay, well, I was just, just impressed at how, how low the file size is compared to JPEG. Well, what's the new one? Uh, let me just look it up because I can't remember. But I read about uh, I read about it recently. AVIF, the new format that's supposedly much more well, even better than WebP is yeah. AVIF. A-V-I-F. Yeah, okay. I did do some experiments with that actually, and yeah, also good, also good. Cool. 
Okay, I've got one from the list. Mm -hmm. Birthday drop-down widgets starting with the current year. So, like, if you've if you're on a form and that form asks you what your birthday is, and a date picker opens up, yeah, there's no there's no reason for that date picker to start on the current year, is there? Because nobody was born in the current year and is using a website. Well, that's that's uh, ludicrous. I thought you were just going to leave it there with nobody was born in the current year, but I think <laughs> I think definitely there are people born in the current year. But yeah, but they're not yeah. entering their age onto uh, websites, though, are they? So yeah, I suppose my question in response to that would be what then is the right year to set it to any other year than the current year would be any, so more, so last year more then. accurate last year would be more accurate because it's closer it's closer to so so can i tell can i tell you what i would do okay so i would try and work out what age range my typical customer was yeah okay and then pick the midpoint in that range. So if it's a website for kids, then you go back 10 years. If it's for yeah. uh, grumpy old men, you'd go back a lot further. Yeah. And I would probably try and pick... Uh, and, and I wonder actually if you could maybe tweak that over time with data as well. So once you've had a few signups, then actually look what was your average age. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's good. But I think... There's a lot of discussion about whether date pickers, you know, what the right solution is for input of dates, isn't there? I mean, there's lots yeah, of-, of course. As long as it works, that that's good. I I used a website once where to enter the date of my birth, I had to go back, but I could only go back a month at a time. So I was like going back, 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 back. I couldn't so even had do to- it per year. It was ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> so however old you are, times twelve is how many times you had to click. <laughs> that's that. a lot of months. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think there's a lot of contention about date inputs in general, isn't there? Well, because every everyone's got their own preferred format. Like if, you, if you're in America, they they do it in a funny way, but the rest of the world does it in like day, month, year. But then there's there's also yeah. other formats where you do uh, year, month, day, which is quite sensible. In fact, doing it year, month, day is good for like for sorting because um, if you sort by date, you can see. Straight away, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do, I do. But it's not just internationalization. So there's a there's a HTML form input specifically for date, isn't there? Yeah. But I believe that that's considered, still today, considered not widely supported enough to oh. use in practice. I think there are some accessibility issues with using the, the default HTML date component. Um, so then you're left choosing, you know, do I either go for like a date picker widget, which, you know, is kind of a form input, but it's like a JavaScript plugin type thing. Yeah, but you never really, those things, you know, uh, are they ever... Uh, has it been tested properly? Yeah. Is it, is it good enough? Is it slow to load? I, I'd much rather it be like built in and native. Well, believe to the, it... To the browser, I mean. Believe it or not, the UK government design guidelines, which yeah. are pretty good, by the way, they actually advocate for just separate boxes for year, month, date that are, uh, that are labelled okay. accordingly. And then you as a programmer can stitch it together later. Yeah, the program I can stitch it together, but the user just gets to put in, you know, year, four digits, month as one or two yeah. digits, date as, as, as one or two digits. That's good because you, you're not going to get too confused with that. It's going to suit pretty much everyone. It's kind I mean, of amazing that something so basic is considered the right way to do it and the best practice and the most accessible way to do it. But yeah, yeah. But yeah, apparently that's the best way to do a to do a date. But you're as long right. As somebody doesn't start like typing in February when yeah. they're going to put O2 or whatever. Yeah. Well, that's a good principle for your applications in general is to be loose in what you you accept, but strict in what you send. And by that, what I mean is if someone puts in 
O2 or Feb or February or 2 or whatever, your application should be smart enough to work out whatever that is. But when it's presenting it back to the user or if you're using an API, if you're building an API and sending data, you should be always give it in the same format. Maybe, but I think I'd rather be clear on the uh, on the on the label and say this should be numeric and limit it to just two characters if it's if it needs O2. Yeah, but I still think it's good practice to be liberal in what you accept, but conservative in what you send and to try and, you know, if, if the user's putting in something different, try and fix it for them, you know, because people aren't going to just put in O2, are they? They're going to put in two and, ex- and expect that that will work. And I think it should work. Your application should be smart enough to work out that two means O2. I don't think you should force people to... You know, because that's just horribly overzealous, isn't it? Where you when you put something in and it and the and it goes, you haven't put O2. I don't know what you mean. I get that a lot with them. Um, UK postcodes. What? Some forms when you're putting in a UK postcode mandate that you put the space in it because a UK postcode. Oh code yeah, okay. Is like two groups of numbers and letters, isn't it, with a space in the middle? And sometimes, mm-hmm. but the the space isn't really needed. You know, it doesn't have any bearing on the meaning of the postcode, or at least I don't think it does. So being pedantic about someone putting the space in the right place is just just fix it for me. I don't. Yeah. What's the next one? Well, actually, nicely leads on from what what you just brought up there. Because I think a common thing that people try and do is get clever and build their own elements instead of using browser inbuilt controls. Oh, okay, yeah. And whenever you make something yourself instead of using an inbuilt control, you just you're never going to build it properly, are you? You're never going to cater for things like you know all the different accessibility technologies out there, all the different browsers. Hang on, what what are you actually talking about? Are you talking about like a checkbox or something like that? Yeah, I've seen people making their own checkboxes. Yeah, I just think what's the point? Yeah, checkbox and 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 drop downs already exist. People are forever building their own drop down elements out of like (laughs) divs. So when you hover onto the div, it like reveal like why? Yeah, I think my bank does that. We've we've got a built-in element for that. Yeah, I don't know why they don't just use the one that's built in, which is perfectly fine and perfectly accessible, and you know it works on on mobile fine. Yeah. If it's native, then then it will pretty much be just universal, won't it? Yeah. If if you're doing that, please stop. Please just use the browser's inbuilt controls because I mean, usually, I mean, the reason people want to do that kind of thing is to gain more control over the styling, right? They they've got yeah yeah they want to gain that control and do something bespoke, but that usually comes at the expense of of accessibility and of usability because it, it yeah. invariably you're not going to build it as well as the the system native control that's built in. I've had clients in the past, not in my current job, but clients that have that they really need to make the forms branded with their um overall look and feel of their design of their you know their company but nobody does anybody care does anybody care if the form doesn't quite match your company brand identity i i i can't say that i've ever looked at uh, a form and thought uh this isn't specific enough to the company (laughs) i think that you know if you've got a big enough team and enough time to spend on it you probably could do a good job of building your own element but in re- in the real world most most people don't have that yeah. time right to, to make it accessible to fully test it to to do a good job of it so unless you've got that kind of resource just don't bother however i'm going to counter this go on sometimes i get a design to to build where the checkbox so it has a checkbox and a form checkbox is bigger nice big chunky checkbox 
However, in CSS, I'm quite limited with what I can do to style that checkbox. Yeah, yeah. I can make it. I can try and make it bigger, but sometimes it looks a bit fuzzy and grainy and pixelated. If I if I try and like, scale it, for example, uh, there are ways to style it by like re- replacing it for a picture that you swap for another picture when when it's actually checked. But um, yeah, I want to just completely discount all that and use the uh, the native the native one. But I do wish I could style the native one a little bit better. Yeah, it would be nice to have a little bit more flexibility on that i think um i agree just like size and color maybe yeah 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 agreed one thing that i always find is that forms that because uh, i'm a linux user so forms to me look horrible because the default form controls on linux are horrible and so forms that look, <laughs> forms that look really really nice on other people's computers on macs or whatever that come out of the box with quite nice you know, designed checkboxes and stuff uh, look kind of a bit a bit rubbish on my machine. Wait, so I thought the form is dictated by the like the browser that you're using. Is it not? Is it dictated by the operating system? To a degree, I think, yeah. Because, like, well, you got me thinking now, but I'm pretty sure that, like, because Ubuntu that I use has, like, an orange colour theme to it. And I'm sure yeah, that, I'm... like, the selected state is, is orange on some things and oh, the focus state is orange. So if you're using Chrome on your Linux and I'm using Chrome on mm-hmm. uh, Mac OS, do your form inputs look different to mine? Does your uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure they do. I'm pretty sure they do. Weird. I just thought it was from the browser. You're making me. Uh, you're making me wonder now. Hmm. Well, don't don't look at it. It's not. It's not that interesting. <laughs> Shall I uh, go to the next one on the list? If you've got an, if you've got another one, yeah. Mega drop downs that open on hover. Not on click. Okay, so it's... I I don't have much to say about about that. What what is that? Why is that bad? Why is okay, that bad? Okay, so this is this is a thing, and I haven't really seen it lately. Maybe because everyone has realised how horrible they are. But a couple of years ago, they were the kind of quite fashionable to have this mega menu. So yeah, yeah. you know how you might hover over a menu item and it expands, showing you the um, the the sub items, the inner yeah. pages of that category or whatever. So a mega menu is one where it's it's a much larger drop down and it might show you groups of categories and lo- just lots lots more stuff basically. Yeah. Um, they yeah. were quite popular on clothing websites. So like they you'd hover over the menu and it'd show you all sorts of different categories and then inner categories, maybe inner categories from that, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But the f- most frustrating thing about that is that it can take up a lot of the space on the screen. Yeah. And if you're doing something like you, you're scrolling your mouse from the top of the screen to the bottom of the screen to click on something, you might accidentally go over the um, the menu item that triggers this mega menu. And then suddenly the whole screen is just covered by this whole menu. And then you might be confused and go, oh, I don't expect this. So that's something that... I think just should not be a thing. So, so I'm, I'm a bit confused. What what are you advocating for here? That we shouldn't have mega menus, or that they shouldn't be revealed on hover, or both? Um. Hmm. Okay. So sometimes there are reasons why you might want a mega menu like this. So maybe you do have a very large website with a lot of categories and subcategories and items and stuff like that. So I suppose I can't say get rid of those completely but doing it on hover does seem um yeah but i just don't think they should be on hover i just don't think they should open on hover okay so but but surely that then applies to all drop down menus mhm yeah i think all drop down menus i think anything on the page actually shouldn't do anything unless you clicked mm, okay because okay. it's the same for um for mobile and and tablets 
there's no such thing as a hover on on mobile so you're actually saving yourself a job you're making it clickable on mobile anyway why would you want it on hover on desktop just because you've got a mouse yeah no that is a really good point um you are entirely limiting yourself to someone with a a mouse and a pointer right by doing a hover menu so definitely yeah um on a slightly uh related note okay did you know that there's now a a HTML native way of doing an accordion. Ooh. Good. Uh, I'm just remind myself. It's called the details element. Are you going to start reading out HTML elements over a podcast, though? Because <laughs> reading no. out HTML doesn't always work, you know, audibly. <laughs> Less than symbol. <laughs> details more than simple no um, i'm not gonna, not gonna read out the the html spec but um no yeah you you know how that that, that kind of quite often you have a, the have an accordion style interface and by that what i mean yeah. we have it as on our faq on our website so all the faq titles you can see and when you click on a title of an faq it expands and shows you the answer and then you click yeah. on another one and that one expands okay. uh, and that that uh i think is quite commonly referred to as an accordion but yeah. you can do that now natively with no JavaScript. That's really good. Using the details element. So you don't need jQuery or anything to, to expand that panel and reveal mm-hmm. the the uh, the details. So yeah, look up the details element if that, good, if good. that uh, interests you. Keeping it, keeping it native. Now, however, people probably would still want to override this if they don't have enough control over how it looks or how it animates. So I'm hoping that... We do have control over those things. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that seems like a recurring theme in the podcast, doesn't it? People just, you know, whether it's a date picker or a drop down or a, an accordion, if the if the inbuilt version doesn't have the flexibility that people need, they tend to roll their own, and then you end up in a, a, a mess of. Well, that's that's a phrase, isn't it? I've not just made that up. Don't know. You mean just make make their own stuff up? Yeah. Yeah, they they rather than using the built-in one, but then obviously, yeah, you probably haven't uh, put in the effort to make sure it's accessible and you know all that all that kind of stuff. Make sure it works on every platform. Um, yeah. Next one. So this is a massive bugbear of mine, and it's overzealous password requirements. Oh, okay. So you know when you go to uh, a website, uh, especially when it's something that doesn't really matter, like security for- always matters. But does it? Like, <laughs> like yeah. I could understand when it when finance is involved or when you know private information is involved. But you know, for something like I don't know, booking a gym class or whatever, like yeah, it has to be secure. Yeah, yeah. Of course, it has to be secure. But but you know, use a level of security that's appropriate. Um, but yeah, quite often you go in and you get a, a a form which says you know what what do you want your password to be. And it forces you to have a password with, you know, a upper and lowercase letters in it, uh, a number in it, and a symbol in it, and you know, and and these requirements are often different from site to site, so it means that it's really tricky to come up with a, a memorable password um, yeah. the, the, for each site. And you know, if you actually look at the the research behind it, you know, the one of the biggest things in actu- that actually impacts security is is password length. So. I tend to have a really, really long passwords that are hopefully secure. But quite often I get told, well, that's not secure enough because it doesn't have a number in it. And I'm like, well, you need some punctuation. It's in. it's 25 letters long. Like, are you telling me that's not secure enough? And then following on from that, what I additionally find frustrating is when you come back to a, a platform that you've not used for, say, a year 
and you're trying to guess your password that you used a year ago. Yeah. And it doesn't tell you what the rules were when you originally set the password. So you've now got to try and... <laughs> so this happens to me quite a lot where I'll then go through the password reset process because I can't remember my password. But then in the process of the password reset, it then shows you the rules and you go, oh, that's what it would have been. And then, then, you, can log, <laughs> then you can log in. Um, yeah. So know, I've done that before as well, yeah. So yeah, overzealous password requirements. Just unless you're a bank, just make people put a vaguely long password in, and obviously check it against the database of common stuff as well. So obviously, don't allow people to put in password, password for example. Yeah. That's a good idea to check against a, a database of commonly vulnerable passwords. Yeah, but you know, just yeah, you, you, yeah, st- stop asking for ridiculous things and. Whatever your password requirements are, put them on the login page as well so people can find out. That's that's Uh, useful, yeah. Yeah. Okay, next one. Menu navigation that moves when when you press it. Right. So imagine you're on a website, you see uh, a menu button. Maybe it's got the, uh, maybe it's a hamburger. It's got the three three lines, which we seem to have all agreed now. That is the icon for menu. Press it. Menu expands. Maybe it's an off-canvas menu that, that expands out from the corner of the screen outwards. Yeah. But you might want to close the menu now, but the button to close it is not in the same place. I find that quite frustrating. You know, I want so to open same... it and then close it. Oh, so you mean like the button that opens the hamburger menu yeah. and closes it should be in the same place. So you can almost like toggle it quickly. You can keep tapping it and it would open, close, open, close, open, close. I absolutely think it should be in the same place. Yeah. Okay. But I've used some websites where it's not. Maybe... But I quite, I quite like, it's a really silly little thing, but I really like those hamburger menus where they animate from a hamburger into the cross. And then when, yeah, you so do I, yeah. the, when you press the cross, it animates back into a hamburger again. Yeah. The, uh, I've that... made a few of those. They're, they're nice. They, they look good. And good thing about it is they're always in the same spot because it would look weird to move it somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Of course. Right. Good. We're in, in agreement there. Yeah. Good. Moving on. What's the next one? Hmm. Scroll hijacking. Oh, God. Yeah. Okay. So again, I think if you are Apple, for example... Okay, why does Apple get to get away with this? Well, maybe they don't, maybe they don't, but this is my thoughts. Okay, so if you're Mm -hmm. Apple and you have the amount of resource that they have to make a scroll hijack, because they do, don't they, on Apple product pages, as you scroll down, it does weird things like there's a laptop that opens up and it kind of holds the page in one place while your scroll Mm -hmm. wheel makes the laptop animate to open or whatever it is. Yeah. But obviously they've got the resources to make that kind of ex- rich experience and make it accessible, you would hope. Make it usable, make it cross-browser. Great, that's fine. But I've seen so many instances where people have had a go at that and obviously not had the, either the skill or the time to make it that good. And, and it just, <laughs> it's horrible. It's janky, it's inaccessible, it's, yeah, it, it's, it's horrible. Uh, and I think I w- in general, just, yeah, don't do it. I was on a website a while ago and uh, the the scroll wheel just seemed to be very... Like, they hijacked it. And every time I scrolled, I, I'm pretty sure I only scrolled half of what I would normally would. So it really felt like to scroll down to the bottom of the screen was a real slog. Like, I was <laughs> scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and getting nowhere. It's like a sort yeah. of dream where you're running and... Like, like swimming, in, swimming in treacle. Like, swimming in treacle. That's like, what it felt like, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. really annoying. I don't know what the intention was behind that. Maybe the website only really, really wanted me to read every part of the site and not not scroll too fast. Very frustrating. Yeah. Right. If if anyone's listening and has been told to do that sort of thing, don't. Please. Please don't. However, 
I don't know. <laughs> we're, we're, we're pleading. Please don't. Okay, what's the however? How, what's, what's the however there? It does look quite good when Apple does it on their product page. It does yeah, work which, quite but that's, well. But that's why I think that you know, if you've got the resource to to put into it to make it good, I, I don't think it's that much of a problem, but... It, <laughs> yeah, so there's always what, an exception for every for everything that's bad, as long as it's good. I don't know. I've got another one. I've got another one, which Go I on think then. is always bad. Uh, right, right-click hijacking. What do you mean, right-click? What's that? Have you never been to a website where you try and right-click on it and then an, a JavaScript alert message pops up that says copyright 2010 oh, or I've whatever? I have seen anything like that in the last 10 years. Really? Oh, I see it a lot, especially on small business websites. So you get this a lot on... Say you're, a, I don't know, just a, for example, a photographer and you don't want people... Oh, okay. You don't want people stealing your images, right. in, in air quotes. They'll tend to add onto the website a piece of JavaScript that hijacks the right-click. And so instead of the right-click menu opening, where people can go save image as or whatever, or inspect the element, it pops up a JavaScript alert. And it's just incredibly infuriating. I don't like the assumption that I'm going to steal stuff. I might, I might just be wanting to see what your HTML is. Yeah, but also... Review source. Also... It's not that difficult to disable JavaScript and then you can just right-click anyway. <laughs> so you're only preventing... what if it's a React website and then it won't work at all? That's true. That's true. But you're only really preventing... You know, Yeah, you're not really gaining that much from it other than just annoying people. Um, no, it is just annoying people. One thing that I do, which, which I'm not sure is super common, but I tend to sometimes use the right-click button and then press back because there's a back... There's a control to go back under uh, yeah, the right-click menu. Mean. So it, it just... I just find that easier than scroll than moving the mouse up to the top left to press back. I'll just go right click back, uh, and it's really annoying for me as a user that some websites prevent me from doing that. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, it always frustrates me. Uh, and it's not just that I can't do it; it's obviously an alert box, so I have to dismiss the alert box before I can do anything. Can I tell you about our latest Twitter followers, Andrew? I would love to hear about. Um, <laughs> hold on. <laughs> Can we do that again? Can we do that again? No, no, no. I'm just going to carry on. Gonna... <laughs> now, why do you always leave the like the most embarrassing, awkward bits of my audio in the podcast? <laughs> so we have Chris R. Becker. Hello. Alexander Radal. Hello. Sean Byrne. Hello. Hell Avenir. Hello. Alan Schregler. Hello. Cleo Dillon. Hello. Jeff Schnell. Hello. Santosh Gandhi. Hello. Michelle Rennie. Hello. And Jen Cochran. Hello. Welcome. Glad to have you with us. Bad, bad usability, usability nightmares. nightmares. Have you got a bad usability nightmare? Mine is minor. Mine's very minor. What? Coal, coal miner? Yeah. In fact, can or... we make a new section? Uh, it's just minor annoyances rather than like... Because bad usability is a nightmare. It has to be quite bad to be a nightmare, doesn't it? Okay. Well, maybe we need to... Hold on. Let's... Should we do the intro bit again? Uh, should, we, should we do minor usability nightmare? But can you say it in the, uh, in the voice of a Cornish tin miner? Uh... <laughs> I don't... What... I don't know what a Cornish tin miner sounds like. Right, that's fine. Right, I'll just get on to it, shall I? So Go I got a, a text message from the dentist. So I've got an appointment next week. And they sent a link in this in this text message saying, click here and fill in some forms before you get here. It'll speed it up. And I thought, fine, I'll do that. So I clicked on the link, but I had to log in. Obviously, I've never, 
I've never logged into this before. I don't have a username and password for my dentist, but they do know my phone number. And so what they asked for is my full name, date of birth. That's not really important. But what the important thing is they said they'd send me a secure code to my to my phone. Yeah. You've seen this sort of thing before. They send send me a code. I copy the code. You know how when you get a sent a text message, it um your phone kind of recognizes what it is and allows you to go copy. Yeah, yeah. And so I paste it into the field. Yeah. And I'm done, right? I'm done. I press OK. Well, I would think so, yeah. I press OK, nothing happens. But what I've noticed is the OK button hasn't like, like it's still greyed out. Okay. I've pasted the, the code, mm-hmm. but the OK button's not working. Can I, can I guess what the cause was? Yeah, what's happening there? Was there a maximum length on the field? And when you copied and pasted it, there was like a space character or a hyphen character. So it was actually the wrong number of digits or something. I've not thought of that, but no, no, it wasn't that. It was... So what I did to resolve it is I typed another number, deleted that number, and then the OK button sort of lit up. Oh, so the... Oh, right, OK. So the developers that have built it have made it check for whether it's a valid input on key up but by, that doesn't by, count paste by checking that i've actually typed it in but i haven't mm. typed it in who typed it in that's a, you have to be a lunatic copy and paste right yeah, yeah but yeah. by pasting it obviously it doesn't look like i've typed in that in that box so the the the, the script didn't know to activate the button anyway rubbish annoying and because i know the technology and how the technology works i knew what to do mm. but i bet a lot of people would be like oh i don't i don't know what's happened there so i bet that would catch a lot of people out yeah i bet uh, yeah yeah i bet it would anyway that is the end of the podcast if you've seen or used something unusable recently we want to hear about it you can email us at podcast at the unusable.com and we're on twitter at unusable podcast if you've enjoyed this there's plenty more Last episode, we talked about the decline of UX. We also have unusable t-shirts and hoodies available to buy on the website, podcast.theunusable.com. Music is by Gold5472. Please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts so you'll get a notification about the next one. And that's it until next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.